Some stories of devotion that I hear can kind of make my eyes water, and some stories of devotion can make my eyes roll. One story of devotion is one about a father and a son named Richard and Rick Hoyt. Rick, the son, had cerebral palsy, and his, he asked his dad, Richard, to enter a five-mile race. So he did. Now, Rick could not run, much less walk, so the father pushed the son in a specially designed wheelchair, and they competed in that race together. Now, that race ended up becoming more and more and more until they entered the 1989 Ironman race. 2.4 miles they swam, 112 miles they rode on bikes, on a bike, and a full 26.2-mile marathon they did. And so the father pulled Rick in a special boat through the swim, rode with him on a seat in the front of his bicycle, and pushed him in a special wheelchair all the way over the finish line. Now that's a story of devotion that is, that's next level. You watch the video and it, somebody's cutting onions, I'll just say that. Other stories of devotion make you wonder, what are they thinking? Like the story of Simeon the Elder. Simeon was a monk from the 5th century. And he was called a stylite monk. That meant he lived a majority of his adult life on the top of a pillar. The very Yes, it's as strange as it sounds. On the very top of a pillar. He lived 37 years on the pinnacle of what became a 50-foot pillar without ever coming down. Why? Well, he wanted to be closer to God and farther away from all the troublesome people in the world. Now, that, that's a story. He wanted to be removed from their evil influence. Now, that's the kind of devotion that should make you roll your eyes. Those are two different stories, two very different stories of devotion. Now, our lives all tell a story. What kind of story of devotion does your life speak to? What are you devoted to? Who are you devoted to? What does your life story say about your devotion? We've been through Isaiah. We've seen through Isaiah that Israel's devotion was not to the God who rescued them by taking them from the hand out of slavery, but they were devoted to idols that they made with their own hands. This is despite the Lord doing valiantly for them. The Lord, who is Deuteronomy chapter 4, says, had taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to a people of his own inheritance as you are this day. He engineered this rescue because he was devoted to them. They were a people holy to the Lord, your God. The Lord regarded them as a chosen and a treasured possession out of all the peoples who were on the face of the earth. And yet, this nation, as we see in Isaiah, constantly and unequivocally turned from the Lord who rescued them to idols who could do nothing for them. And Isaiah was announcing the punishment for idolatry. That's what, that's what this book is about. Now, here's the punishment with idolatry. It's that you resemble what you worship. 
That's the punishment. It's not as if fire come down from he- comes down from heaven to consume you. You resemble what you worship. And this is the idea. We see this in the scriptures, but most explicitly in Psalm 115. The idols, their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. That's the problem with idolatry. You become what you worship. The nation of Israel had come to resemble their idols. They had eyes, but were blind to the things of the Lord. They had ears, but they were deaf to the word of the Lord. They had feet, but they refused to follow the word of the Lord. Their story of devotion was a story of devotion to false gods that led them to destruction. We're going to read beginning in verses 10 of chapter 42 and all the way to the end. And we're going to ask a question of all of us this morning. What am I devoted to most? And we need to be devoted to the Lord our God. I'm going to read beginning in verse 10. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastland and their inhabitants. Let the desert and its cities lift up their voice, the villages that Kedar inhabits. Let the the inhabitants of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praises in the coastlands. The Lord goes out like a mighty man. Like a man of war, he stirs up his zeal. He cries out. He shouts aloud. He shows himself mighty against his foes. For a long time, I have held my peace. I have kept still and restrained myself. Now I cry out like a woman in labor. I will gasp and pant. I will lay waste to mountains and hills. I will dry up all their vegetation. I will turn the rivers into islands. I will dry up the pools. And I will lead the blind in a way they do not know, in paths they have not known. I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do, and I do not forsake them. They are turned back and utterly put to shame, who trust in carved idols, who say to metal images, you are our gods. Hear, you deaf, and look, you blind, that you may see. Who is blind but my servant, or deaf as my messenger whom I send? Who is blind as my dedicated one, or blind as the servant of the Lord? He sees many things, but does not observe them. His ears are open, but he does not hear. The Lord was pleased for his righteousness' sake to magnify his law and make it glorious. But this is a people plundered and looted. They are all. They are all of them trapped in holes and hidden in prisons. They have become plunder with none to rescue, spoil with none to say, Restore! Who among you will give ear to this, will attend and listen for the time to come? Who gave up Jacob to the looter and Israel to the plunderers? Was it not the Lord 
whom we have sinned, in whom ways they would not walk, in whose laws they would not obey. So he poured on them the heat of his anger in the might of battle. It set him on fire all around, but he did not understand. It burned him up, but he did not take it to heart. Let's pray. Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And I pray that it would be that for us today. I pray, Lord, that you would afflict those of us who find that our devotion is in something aside from you. I pray that you would encourage those of us who find that our devotion is in you. Lord, these are things I don't know about anyone here, but I do know about me. I need help. And so, Lord, I pray that the ministry of your word would resonate in my heart and in all of our hearts, Lord, this morning. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It may not seem like it, but verses 10 all the way to the end of the chapter is a call to devotion. Devotion to the Lord our God. We are called to devote ourselves again to the Lord our God. And we see this in two movements. First, a new song. A new song. And that's from verses 10 through 17. If you were here last week, we were introduced to this mysterious servant of the Lord who would rise up, that Isaiah said would rise up in the distant future. Now, the scope of his ministry would be breathtaking. It wasn't just Israel. He would have a unique and central place in all of human history. Isaiah 42.1 says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. That means he will establish justice in all the world. Now, we know that the original audience of Isaiah did not know that this man would be named Jesus from the tiny Galilean hamlet of Nazareth. Isaiah hints that this servant would demand the attention of the world. And we know this to be true. Jesus, whatever you think about Jesus, you cannot ignore him. That's why they're singing not just any song, but you'll notice in verse 10, we're called to sing a new song. New songs in the Bible are meant to celebrate a new development in the Lord's mission to save the world. The servant's future arrival is that new event. So what Isaiah does in verse 10 is call upon not the nation of Israel, but all nations to sing to the Lord Jesus. He starts out with, with Gentile settlement, settlements that are closer, Kedar and Selah. They call, he calls on them to praise the Lord. Then he summons the distant coastlands of the world to praise the Lord. Why? Well, here's why. Verse 13. Here's the reason he calls on them to praise the Lord. The Lord goes out like a mighty man. Like a man of war, he stirs up his zeal. He cries out and shouts aloud. He shows himself mighty against his foes. See, the world is invited to celebrate the arrival of the Lord's warrior who would defeat all of his foes. This means the Lord would fight the enemies of his people. This would be a fierce warrior. This servant of the Lord would be a fierce warrior, but also a gentle rescuer. One moment he's bellowing a war cry, the next he is leading the blind gently to safely, safety. Another one, he's laying waste to mountains and hills, 
the next moment, he's turning darkness to light and making the ground level for his people. What the original audience looked forward to and wondered about, we look back and know about in the ministry of Jesus Christ. It's no wonder that so many people missed the fact that Jesus was the long-anticipated servant of the Lord. What were they looking for? Verse 13.1, the Lord goes out like a mighty man. They see Jesus and they say, you don't seem that mighty. You're gentle Jesus, meek and mild. In the future, you're going to carry lambs and have a light on your face and you're going to look very gentle. And Christians everywhere will put pictures like that in their houses. You're not a fighter. You see, the original, the, the, the people that missed Jesus, they expected this servant to lead a revolt against Rome. But Jesus came to lead a revolt against a much more fundamental enemy. He didn't come to release the people from the yoke of, of, of subservience to Rome, but the yoke of subservience to sin and death. And the Jews of Jesus' day did not understand that sin and death were the greatest threats in their lives. And so they missed Jesus. They missed Him. This is not just a Jewish problem, but a human problem. Humanity, collectively, all of us, are rotten at identifying our great enemies. Our great enemy is not some other nation, it's not the extreme right or left. It's not disease or famine, but it's sin and death. As Walt Kelly said, we have met the enemy, and he is us. That's our problem. Or we have met the enemy, and he is in us. You see, the coming of the servant of the Lord would exhibit his might against our great foe that lives within us, sin. And the sentence for all sinners is death. Now, how would this mighty warrior defeat sin? How would this man of war make war on sin? We all know. The means of his victory was the public execution of this mighty man. Oswald said, when this mighty delivering warrior appears to destroy the enemies of God, whose blood is it that stains his garments? It is his own. And no one expected that. No one expected that. No one expected for Jesus to stand forth, to be destroyed, so that our sin might be conquered, and so that death might be vanquished. I wonder if when uh, early on that Sunday morning so long ago when Jesus arose, I wonder if he emerged from the grave with a loud shout of victory. I bet he did. This mighty man was dead but now lives. There is no other, no other exhibition of strength. There is no other exhibition of might. There is nothing else in all the universe that, that is stronger than our Savior, this mighty man. He has shown himself strong and mightier than the greatest of foes. Isaiah looks forward and calls the world 
to sing a new song in celebration of his great victory. The Lord was devoted to his people and defeated their great foe. Isaiah wasn't the only one who called people to sing a new song. In fact, that new song rung out in heaven as well. There was a vast angelic host that joined in. We see it in Revelation chapter 5. The scene is the revelation of Jesus Christ, the one who was, was slain and yet lives forever. And all of heaven, we read this, and they sang a new song. Remember what we said new songs were? They were songs that celebrate new movements in the salvation of mankind. They sang a new song. Worthy are you, speaking of Jesus, to take the scroll and open its seals to be the one that controls all of history. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation, you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they, that's us, shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne, John says, and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. That's the new song going on right now in heaven. Does your life sing with this kind of devotion to Jesus? Now, that doesn't mean that all we do is think and talk about Jesus every second of the day. It does mean that the most important person, the most important element in our life is Jesus and our call to follow him. Is that the most important thing? Is that the most important element for you? Or is something getting in the way? This servant showed his power by destroying the power of sin without utterly destroying each of us. That's unexpected. If you're a follower of Jesus, he fought for you and has won. He fought and defeated the power of sin. No longer do you lay prostrate under that yoke. Now... Because of his victory, you are free. We still sin, we still fall short, but instead of dwelling on our many sins, we can devote ourselves to our mighty Savior, our mighty servant warrior. He did not ask or require our aid, but stepped forth willingly to own our failures as his own, as if he were personally guilty. So that we might be personally forgiven. So that we might be free from the malicious sentence of death. And free from the pervasive power of sin. He is worth serious devotion. Does he have your devotion? What does the story of your life say? You know what got in the way? For Isaiah's original audience of devotion to the Lord, it's what still gets in the way. 
It's an old problem. This old problem can block our devotion. So we move from a new song to an old problem in verses 18 to 25. Verse 18 presents a dramatic shift. You'll notice he starts talking about deaf and blind people. The focus moves from singing to the Jews of Jerusalem. So it's, I, the, the nations are called upon the sing, to sing, but not Jerusalem. Why? Verse 18, hear you deaf and look you blind that you may see. Speaking of Jerusalem again, in verse 20, he sees many things but does not observe them. His ears are open, but he does not hear. The nation of Israel is both blind and deaf. Now, the shift in verse 19 is speaking of the servant Israel, not the servant Jesus. And we know this by the context. When we keep reading, we get to verse 22, and we find that 22 and following, that the blind and deaf are the servant of God called Israel. What are they blind to? Verse 21. The Lord was pleased for his righteousness' sake to magnify his law. Think about his law here as his instruction, not rules. His law and make it glorious. They were blind to the glorious instruction of the Lord. Why? Because they had become like their false gods. They had eyes but could not see. They had ears, but could not hear. They had feet, but they could not follow the Lord. They had devoted themselves to these false gods, and they began to resemble what they worshipped. Prophets came, and prophets went, and the people were deaf to the glorious instruction of the Lord. Notice the irony. In verses 10-17, through we have the Lord addressing the Gentile nations, the nations who did not know the Lord or His purposes, the nations who were not looking for the servant, the nations who were steeped in their sin, the Lord addresses them, calling them to raise a song of praise, and His own people who knew Him best, who refused to listen and could not sing. How bad did it get? Verse 24, the Lord says He's the one who gave up Jacob to the looter, and Israel to the plunderers. Was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned? In those ways they would not walk, in whose law they would not obey. Do you see in verse 24 this real subtle shift from we to they? Do you see that? Third line, was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned? No one said that in Israel. They're not aware of that. They're not thinking that way. And so the Lord regards them not as we, as a part of me and my family. Not the, the Lord's not thinking of them as a we. He's thinking of them as a them and a they. In whose ways they would not walk. In whose law they would not obey. When, when the Lord speaks of his own people as them and they, that's a problem. It's because they were blind and deaf and they could not understand or respond to the word of the Lord. And most damning, verse 25, he poured on him, that's the servant Israel, the heat of his anger in the might of battle and it set him on fire all around. But he didn't understand. It burned him up. 
But he did not take it to heart. Why? Well, because they worshipped false gods. And they became like those false gods. They didn't understand the punishment. They didn't understand the correction of the Lord. They didn't understand those things. They weren't understanding why they were burned. They didn't see the Lord in his hand moving. They didn't hear the Lord speaking. Sometimes, tragically, it's those closest to the Lord and his people who have the hardest time hearing and responding to the instruction of the Lord. Is that where you are? Is that where you are? What does the story of your life say? What is the, de- the story of devotion? What is, what is the testimony of, not just what you say with your mouth, but the testimony of your life? What does it say? Are you most devoted to Jesus Christ or to something else? 21 years ago when I began, had the privilege of preaching regularly in those early days, when we would come to a passage of Scripture, for the whole time we wouldn't do topical messages, we'd walk through sections of Scripture. When I'd come to a passage of Scripture that was a warning passage, I had a hard time. I was young, and I thought, man, everybody who comes to church, they're Christians, they'll tell you so. They don't need to be warned, they don't need to hear this. Now I know better. There are people today who were once following Jesus in our midst who have lost their way. Some were defiled by slander and left to go deconstruct. Others face unexpected, intense trials and ran from Jesus. Still others were swept away by some division or another that seemed urgent at the time. Others left their spouse with no biblical warrant. Why? They had eyes but could not see. They had ears but could not hear. Something else took the place of Jesus in their life. And when the Lord brought correction, when the Lord brought instruction, when the Lord brought the fire of wise counsel from someone. They may have been on fire all around, but they did not understand. It may have burned them, but they did not take it to heart. And so these days, I don't shy away from warning passages anymore because we all need them. Me first and most of all. Whenever someone departs the faith by word or the testimony of their lives, I don't think, How in the world could they do that? I think, Lord, help me. I'm not made of anything different than them. But when you're devoted to other things, you're not going to be aware when the Lord tries to get your attention because you're not going to be able to hear or see the things of the Lord. See, Israel's story was one of misplaced devotion. Misplaced devotion leads to a hard and unresponsive heart. Israel had eyes but could not see the work of the Lord. Israel had ears but could not hear the work of the Lord. And this hardness of heart is the greatest of tragedies. Because a hard heart means you cannot, physically anymore, you cannot hear and respond to the word of the Lord. 
Because something else has gotten in the way. Why? Because you become like what you worship. And if you worship anything other than Jesus Christ, you will have a heart. You have eyes but cannot see and and ears but cannot hear. There are many who who have hard hearts because they've traded their devotion to Jesus Christ to just being right. Or money. Or sleeping with who you want to sleep with. Or being true to your feelings. Or controlling everything. Or just avoiding pain. Or just being your authentic self. All those kinds of things, which is sounds good, those are idols that get in the way of us having a pure devotion to Jesus Christ. So how do you know if you have a hard heart or if your heart is in the process of hardening? Now, it never happens all at once. There are stages. There are stages. There is a process before we have a heart that is petrified. It might go something like this. First, your devotion for Jesus just becomes a little bit cold. Now, you still follow him. You still speak about him. You still sing at church. But little areas of compromise creep in and you come to terms with them instead of instead of confessing and repenting. You make excuses. Now, at this point, no one can tell. But you haven't confessed sin to the Lord, much less another person, for a good long while. You can still speak the language, and you're fluent in Christianese, and you can still talk about what the Lord is doing, but you know your devotion is a bit cold because something else has gotten in the way. That's the first step. Then... Your, your, your cold devotion to the Lord becomes a distance from the Lord. You feel far from the Lord and you do nothing to remedy it. You just wait. You decide that you, you know, don't really feel like reading your Bible. You don't really feel like praying. You don't really get much out of it. And slowly but surely, you start to remove yourself from fellowshipping with the saints. You're busy. You've got all kinds of things other going on and other things are right now vying for your attention and that's okay. You say to yourself. Then, thirdly, your distance from the Lord convinces you to distance yourself from the saints. You decide that what you're feeling and what you're going through is complex and no one can really understand. It's not as easy as just simple sacrifice, self-sacrificial obedience. You don't bother to get any help because no one's going to say anything that you haven't already thought of. And you already know what they're going to say. So you don't bother to get help from anyone. Fourthly, you physically isolate yourself from the saints because no one, no one understands. You have to remove yourself from others for your own sanity and protection so that you can be authentic to yourself. First, you withdraw yourself emotionally. Then, you leave a faithful but imperfect church. You used to not be able to think about how you could live your life without the saints at your church that you loved and that love you. Now, you're not so sure. Now, you know they don't understand. Fifth, you don't just stop listening to the Lord. You can't anymore. You go your own way. You say you need to be true to your own feelings, you need to be authentic, and you need to be the authentic you. 
and you decide you believe in God, but not with an over-the-top kind of devotion. You do things with your life you never thought you could do, and it's all okay. Lightning doesn't strike you from the sky, and it seems like you're doing right. But the truth is, you can't listen anymore. And sixth, you leave the Lord. Now, you don't say it that way. You might even still go to a church that doesn't preach Christ. But your life says it. Maybe you leave your life, your wife with no, or husband with no biblical warrant. Maybe you take up with someone not your spouse. Maybe you live a homosexual lifestyle. Maybe you, you give your life to full-throated slander. Maybe you devote yourself to alcohol or whatever. But you walk away. And everyone wonders, what happened? It was all so sudden. But that's not the truth. It was slow. It was slow. But no one knew. The punishment of a hard heart, the punishment of those who serve and are devoted to things that are not Jesus is worse than you can imagine because the Lord gives you exactly what you want. And your base desires become who you are. See, the old problem of idolatry always leads to destruction. Misplaced devotion is always deadly. Are you exhibiting the early warning signs of a hardening heart? If so, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not peering into anybody's heart. But stop. Do whatever you have to do. Devote yourself to Jesus. Again, confess, repent, get help. Your life, my life, all of our lives tell stories of devotion. But to what? To whom? May our lives be stories not of what we can do, but of what Christ has done in and through us. May the lives that we live be lives that are marked by Jesus Christ. Listen, everything else in our lives, every single thing else that we have and that we're tempted to hold on to will one day go away, but Jesus will not. Jesus is that one sure thing that we can build our lives on unreservedly. And He is the only one to whom we can devote ourselves to completely in utter safety. So if you find yourself in the beginning stages of a hard heart, heart, Jesus stands ready to help. I don't want your story of devotion or my story of devotion to be a story devoted to me or to you. What are our preferences? But to Jesus Christ, how could it be otherwise? He who gave His own life, that one stands ready to forgive and restore you. Move to Him. Reach to Him. He does not regard us as we really are. The Father doesn't regard us as we really are, as sinners compromised but He regards us as Jesus really is. Because, friend, when Jesus is the one you are devoted to, He is your life. He is the definition of who you are. 
And when Jesus is who you are, you are who you should be. When anything else is, you're on the road to destruction. Jesus is tender, and he is kind, and he is ready to help. So friend, no matter who you are, where you are, devote yourself again to Jesus and stave off, stave off a story of devotion to some other thing that will only lead you to destruction. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would help me, first of all. Lord, you know my weakness and my frailty more than anybody, and I am so grateful that you do not treat me as my sins deserve. I'm grateful that that's true for me, and I'm grateful that's true for any who follow you. And Lord, I just want to intercede on behalf of my friends and just ask, Lord, where there is, where there is compromise, maybe secret compromise, compromise that no one knows yet, maybe something that someone is just sort of justifying or, or making excuses for in their own life and their heart, Lord, I pray that you would challenge them. I pray that we would not be like idols that, can, that have eyes but cannot see or ears that cannot hear. Lord, we want to be men and women alive to the possibilities of what Jesus is doing in our day. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be those that have a white-hot devotion for you because nothing else in this life will satisfy. Nothing. Lord, do not, do not allow us to just protect ourselves by isolating ourselves so that we end up isolating ourselves from other Christians and you. I pray, Lord, I pray that those here who are aware of the beginnings of a petrified heart, I pray that they would confess and repent and get help. I pray for those that were in our midst and in other faithful churches around the world who are no longer and who live lives far from you. Lord, we don't look at them and say, how could they? We ask for help that you would grab them, Lord, that you would restore them. We pray that you would help them. Lord, be kind and merciful. pray, Lord, that you would just the kindness that you exhibit on a daily basis, I pray that they would just experience that and let that kindness lead to repentance for them. I pray that you would forgive us if we have a self-righteous attitude toward them. And Lord, I pray for us that you would protect us, Lord. We are not, we are not special. We cannot do this alone. We are unable to find and forge our way apart from you, Jesus. Lord, we are weak and frail. But Jesus, you're not. So we commit ourselves, our purposes, our lives, 
our todays and tomorrows and forevers to you. And I pray that we would be faithful. We're not going to be perfect, but you are. So you're perfect for all of us. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that we can come to you. And I pray that you would snatch a few that are hearing the sound of my voice from running off to destruction, Lord. And in your name we pray, Jesus. Thank you for being our mighty warrior. Amen.